Welcome to today's course, Evidence-Based Fall Risk Management, the Otago Exercise Program. My name is Anne. I'm the Curriculum Designer for Therapy Content at Relias. Today we'll be learning about the Otago Exercise Program, or OEP, which is an exercise-based fall risk management program that has proven to reduce falls by 35% in high-risk, community-dwelling older adults. The OEP has been so effective that the Centers for Disease Control and the National Council on Aging have promoted it as an evidence-based health promotion program. This designation is important because it means community-based providers are educated about the program and can support implementation and dissemination. The program is designed to be initially prescribed by a clinician, and then the older adult is transitioned to a wellness program to continue progress. There's been much innovation in the implementation of this program since the original research was published in 1995. Since then, the program has proven easy to adapt to meet the needs of older adults. This course presents the evidence behind the program, best practices for implementation in home, community, and virtual settings, and how to leverage the strengths of the interdisciplinary team for best outcomes. As a reminder, the learning objectives for this course are to define evidence-based health promotion programs, define the key components of the Otago Exercise Program, recall best practices in OEP prescription and progression, define the role of the interdisciplinary team in implementation of OEP, and to recognize different implementation models of the OEP. Our speaker today is Dr. Tiffany Schubert. Dr. Schubert has a master's in physical therapy from UC San Francisco, San Francisco State University, and a PhD in human movement science from UNC Chapel Hill. She's a licensed physical therapist with over 20 years of clinical experience. She has taught in pre- and post-professional DPT programs and is a funded researcher with 35 peer-reviewed publications. The majority of her research has focused on evidence-based fall risk management and the dissemination and implementation of the Otago Exercise Program. Dr. Schubert, we're looking forward to learning more about the OEP and implementation in the clinical practice. Great. Thank you so much, Anne. I'm really excited to be here today. I will be presenting three topic areas for your learners. One, I'm going to provide a general overview of evidence-based programming in general and the Otago Exercise Program in particular, which is why we're all here. And then we'll do a deeper dive into the common challenges and barriers that we've seen um, in implementing this program in the United States. The data for this program is so compelling, 35% reduction in falls, and that data has been proven, that number has been proven over and over again, yet we still really haven't seen the widespread adoption and implementation of this program. So we'll talk a lot about why that is and what we can be doing today as clinicians to really support adoption. And finally, we're going to talk about some really interesting innovations and in implementation and several of these innovations really happened uh, in early 2020 during the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and are continuing on and are offering some really interesting opportunities to really promote health and wellness with our older patients. So without further ado, I will jump in. First, I want to set the stage for our learners around fall risk management. And I really want to challenge everyone to be thinking about the fact that fall risk management is not an episode of care. And this really does change the paradigm about how we think about managing our older patients. So 
for example, and why I really want to stress this, is that when you look at the risk factors for falls in older adults, you know, we always think about why are, why are 30%, 40% of older adults falling each year? And one of the risk factors is age. That's not going to change anytime soon. One is gender. If you're female, you're at a higher risk of falling. Polypharmacy, that is something we can have an impact on. Cognition, lower extremity weakness. Um, and then the list goes on and on from there. But those are typically our big risk factors that we focus on. Oh, and vision, of course. And a lot of those risk factors we, we can address during an episode of care. And we can get our patients ready to take on those risk factors after our episode of care. But those risk factors are continuous. They're always there. And so that really does change the way we need to be thinking about managing fall risk. We just can't take a patient who comes to us with balance issues, fix their balance issues, and send them on their merry way. We need to use our clinical expertise to identify the impairment, prescribe the right intervention, and then more importantly, we really need to be stressing to our patients that their balance intervention, their balance exercises are really going to be a lifelong commitment. The other thing we talk a lot about in the falls risk management literature and falls risk management world, uh, in addition from thinking continuum of care versus episode of care, is what if we apply the chronic disease model to fall risk management? and start thinking about using that language with our patients. And this is actually really where Otago is extremely effective, where the OEP is very effective. And I'll explain why. If you think about the messaging that patients get about managing their blood pressure, managing diabetes, they have to do it every single day. They have to take their blood pressure medications every single day. They have to monitor their blood sugars every single day. If we could get that type of mindset around falls risk management. So our patients got the message that they have to manage their fall risk every day. It really would have a profound impact on their outcomes. And because the Otago exercise program is designed to be an intervention where the patient, the older adult does exercise more or less six days out of seven during the week, that's the mindset we want. Something you have to do every single day. So, oh my goodness, where did that number come from? Six days a week of exercise for an older adult. Can they, can they do it? Uh, the short answer is yes. And also we have an amazing amount of evidence that really supports, it's really about three hours of strength and balance exercises that older adults need to do every single week to get a protective effect against a fall. Um, that number actually came from Catherine Sherrington's most recent review of the literature around evidence-based falls risk management. And three hours sounds like a lot, uh, but it's completely doable, especially if we break it up in such a way that our patients really understand the value of it. So sort of setting the stage. All right. So we got to think about falls risk management and our role as clinicians is Really, it's a continuum of care. It's to empower the patients to continue on with the intervention when therapy is over. Um, and that really should be the message on day one. And it is really achieving a significant amount of strength and balance exercise throughout their week. 
So that's a big ask uh, for patients. And that's really where the Otago Exercise Program and other evidence-based health promotion programs can be an incredible resource for physical therapists, occupational therapists. And I'm going to dive a little deep into what an evidence-based health promotion program is. And I want our learners to really understand that evidence-based health promotion programs are tools that we can use. They shouldn't be hearing everything I'm going to say next and think that, oh, I have to learn how to do these programs and I need to implement them in my practice for that. They're actually really not designed for clinicians to use at all. They're designed to be implemented by providers in the world of the area agencies on aging, uh, the YMCAs, all of our community-based programs that are available for our patients to access. So these are programs that are really designed to be adjuncts and bridges. So for myself as a therapist, if I know that the YMCA is offering matter of balance, I can discharge my patient to that, I can either discharge my patient to that program, or I can highly recommend that they go to the Y and take that program. And I know if they go to that program that they are going to learn how to manage their fear of falling, how to make good decisions about activities that they should be doing. And they're also actually going to learn to value exercise as an effective action that they can do to help manage their fall risk. So, that all being said, we're going to jump into evidence-based health promotion programs now. And again, these are tools that we can use. So what is an evidence-based health promotion program besides a huge mouthful? Um, an EBHP, because we have to have an acronym, um, is a program that's actually designed to be implemented as a public health program. And it's a program that has been researched and validated and tested and proven effective, and then disseminated, meaning we took it out of the lab and we put it in the hands of the community and we tested it again. And the outcomes were the same. These are programs that are highly scripted and they typically address one major issue. So for example, one of the most common programs in the public health world is the chronic disease self-management program. It's designed specifically for adults who have at least one chronic disease, and it's a lay leader-led program. So fabulous program, great outcomes. One of the outcomes are people go to the emergency room less after they go through this program. People go and see their doctor less after this program. Um, people feel more confident managing their health conditions. So really, really, really effective program. There are other evidence-based health promotion programs that are very specific to falls risk management. And some of the more common ones are matter of balance, like I mentioned before, stepping on, which is also a behavioral health and a um, exercise intervention. Uh, tai Chi, usually the biggie. People love to refer to Tai Chi, and it's because it's such an effective program. And the Otago Exercise Program. And the reason I am bringing this up is though even though Otago was originally researched and implemented by physical therapists, that because it was so effective, the people in the public health world and the people in the area agency on aging world saw a huge need for their clients to have this program. 
And so they really started pushing it and started looking to collaborate with physical therapists to offer it. So when you start as a PT or as an OT, when you start researching the Otago exercise program, it gets a little confusing because you start seeing all of this research that shows it's effective. And then you start seeing that the Centers for Disease Control is also offering the program or recommending it, and also the National Council on Aging. And so suddenly things get really murky as to who is supposed to be doing what. So I'm really hoping that the learners that go through this course today get a very clear understanding of the science behind the Otago Exercise Program, our role as clinicians, as PTs and OTs to either evaluate and prescribe the program, but also how we can be partnering with these other agencies in our community to support our patients when they're done with therapy and to continue on with the Otago Exercise Program as a health and wellness program. So, and that's a lot, I, I, I know, and a lot to think about, but it's really important. So without further ado, I will now actually talk to you all a little bit more about the Otago Exercise Program. You know, the program has been around since 1995. It's a really, really long time. Um, and oftentimes when PTs and OTs learn about the OEP, they say, but this isn't actually really different or innovative. And my response is, you are exactly right. When you learn about the program, you'll realize it's best practice. It's how we are actually supposed to be prescribing exercise programs to older adults. It just provides a little more structure. And that structure is where you get that benefit. So... What is the actual program? A little history. It's called the Otago Exercise Program because it was created and validated uh, by some researchers, and that would be Claire Robertson and Dr. John Campbell at the University of Otago in New Zealand. So that's where the name comes from. And the people in New Zealand always laugh at Americans because we typically call it the OEP or Otago, and that really actually makes them giggle because they're like, but that's where we live. That's not the program. Um, and it was designed to be a structured and progressive strength and balance program. The initial research was done on women who were aged 80 or older, who were living in the community, and who were not actively seeing a physical therapist. So these were individuals who were at risk of a fall but didn't have a specific impairment or didn't have any issues that would, that would really demonstrate medical necessity for physical therapy. And the therapist went in and they had an initial evaluation where they did our basic outcome measures. And the outcome measures for this study, which was very simple, was really they were looking at walking speed, they were looking at tandem stance, they were looking at sit to stand, and then they also prescribed a set of exercises. Now, Claire Robertson, when she created Otago, the Otago Exercise Program, she realized that you know, we have, we're going to be asking people to do this for six months. So there needs to be a progression in place. So as a result, she picked 17 exercises that are what we would typically think of as strength and balance exercises. And of those 17, the key thing is only one is actually done in sitting and three are done using ankle weights. And the whole idea was that 
you could pick and choose which of the 17 were appropriate for the patient. And this would be a subject, actually, because we're talking a research study. And that subject would do the exercises and then it would be progressed. So you've got these 17 exercises and I'll talk about the exercises in just a minute. So that was the initial visit. Do a quick evaluation. It's a research study, so it's not like a full PT evaluation, but initial evaluation and prescribe the appropriate number of exercises of the 17 that would be appropriate for that particular subject. And the goal was that the subject would do the exercises for 30 minutes, three times a week. And if the subject was strong enough and safe enough, they would also incorporate a walking program three times a week. The researcher would come back the following week, so there'd be a one-week gap, and would reassess, hey, you know, how'd the exercises go? Did you understand them? Were they too easy? Should we make them more difficult? Should we add more weight? Should we make a balance exercise more challenging? And then after that, researcher came back for a total of three more times every other week. So ultimately ended up being five sessions with a researcher over eight weeks, at which point the subject continued on with their exercises and the researcher called them once a month for three months. And that monthly phone call was really a check-in. How are things going? Do we need to change your exercises at all? Do we want to move forward, make things more challenging, less challenging? So at the end of six months, they had an in-home visit because it was a research project. And the goal of the in-home visit was to check, it was to really get all the outcome measures in place. And what they found was that the subjects were doing so well. Those who were in the intervention group versus the non-intervention group had 30 to 40% fewer falls. They had high adherence rates of their exercises. Um, 30%, when I say high adherence rates, it's, I mean, it's still not great, but 30% were doing the exercises three times a week, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, but they were really benefiting. And so it was so powerful that they, we got to keep this going. So I'm making this point because the original research was really only supposed to be six months, but they decided to extend it another six months. And so for the following six months, same thing. They called once a month and then they did the outcome visit at a year. And again, this is where we start. When we cite that 35% reduction in falls, that's where that number comes from. And then believe it or not, the people who were enrolled in the study were loving the exercises so much. We're still improving that the researchers just said, we're just going to keep calling these people. And so what you see is in 1997, a follow-up study published where they followed folks for two years. And again, just saw this really profound protective effect against falls in those who are in the research study. So Otago, the OEP, has been replicated numerous times in probably at least 15 different studies. And the results are consistent. 35% reduction in falls in high-risk older adults. So that was the actual research intervention behind Otago. And what ends up happening and what you end up seeing is that taking a research study, even a highly effective research study, and turning it into a clinical practice is an incredible challenge. And this is where when the Centers for Disease Control decided that 
the Otago Exercise Program was one of three programs that they wanted to push as a public health initiative, that things start getting really complicated um, because, so first of all, I want to keep in mind that in the original research, the people were not actually appropriate for physical therapy. So if you're appropriate for physical therapy, you're seeing a PT to address an impairment. If you're appropriate for OT, you're seeing an OT to address an impairment. And so how does that actually overlay onto an exercise prescription for strength and balance? That was one challenge. Another challenge was that the frequency and duration of visits didn't really align at all with how we typically manage patients. And it's not to say that we can't see patients at that frequency and duration, but it was really different than how typical practice is done, uh, especially if you're in the home. And that's the other big issue with the Otago Exercise Program. The beauty of it is that it's designed and it was tested to be implemented in the home, which is where our high-risk older adults are. And those are the folks that need this type of intervention. The reality is, is that doing the Otago Exercise Program as part of a home health episode of care can also be incredibly challenging. And we'll, we'll talk later in the course about how to really, imp, how, to, how to implement it as part of that episode of care. But there are just a lot of challenges around implementation. And I was lucky enough to be part of a grant-funded team to do a deep dive into this and to identify a lot of these barriers. And quite honestly, the majority of the barriers were around the complexity of documentation, demonstrating medical necessity, and also seeing patients at a very different frequency and duration than Medicare is used to paying for. So the research on the implementation in the U.S. is that we've really seen that there's been a ton of challenges. Um, the beauty about talking about this course right now and talking about the Otago Exercise Program right now is we have a lot of alternatives that have been validated as highly effective. So we can still get this program to our patients, even if it doesn't align exactly with how we practice. And the other thing is, is that we've really seen that there are just key critical components of the Otago Exercise Program that are so incredibly effective. And this may sound like PTOT 101, but structured and progressive exercises, uh, exercises that are mostly done in standing with minimal upper extremity support. These are critical, critical elements. So how this actually looks in practice right now is that if I am working with a patient on my first day seeing that patient, I'm going to prescribe them a set of Otago exercises. And that set of Otago exercises, I'm going to pick usually around 10 or so. I am absolutely always going to prescribe the first three exercises, which are done with ankle weights. And the very first exercise is terminal knee extension. Um, and I highly recommend using ankle weights. I find that sometimes uh, in implementation, a lot of therapists will tell me that they much rather would use exercise bands. However, I find that for patients when they use an ankle weight and they know I am putting a half pound weight on my ankle and my goal is to get up to a one pound weight and then a two pound weight, that that is a much easier thing for them to get their head around and they can see that progression. And when they see that progression, they get more buy-in. So you'll do your ter terminal knee extensions with your ankle weights. You'll do standing hip abduction with your ankle weights and you'll do standing knee flexion with your ankle weights. So always prescribing those three. 
And then I usually do a mix of different exercises depending on um, what's appropriate for the patient, but almost always sit to stand. And the typical progression for sit to stand in Otago is two hands and then minimal upper extremity support and then no hands. Um, I will always do a standing uh, single leg stance. Try to do tandem stance if that's appropriate. And then we'll do some dynamic, some of the dynamic walking exercises, um, which can be quite challenging. Uh, but, but again, we find that when people do those, they really get that lovely protective effect against a fall. So to summarize where we're at right now with the Otago exercise program, um, the key things that uh, I want the learners to be thinking about is that fall prevention really does require a continuum of care which means that as physical therapists, as occupational therapists, we need to be thinking differently about how we evaluate and treat uh, balance impairment and how we think about and talk about false risk management with our patients. We have resources available in evidence-based health promotion programs. Otago is considered an evidence-based health promotion program. It's a little out of the box because it doesn't really fit within public health and it sort of doesn't really fit into clinical practice. But if clinicians are creative and are thinking about how to integrate this highly powerful program into their practice, they can do it. And it may require eventually partnering with a community-based program to help support. And finally, we know in the research setting and through multitude, multitudes of studies that the OEP is highly, highly effective. But it doesn't really align with the way we traditionally practice therapy in the United States. And so we'll have to start thinking about things differently. Thank you, Dr. Schubert. Uh, I think you've made some really uh, important points here. And, and one of the big takeaways I got is what you said earlier when you said, you know, this, these aren't new exercises. This isn't something that is out of the box. It's really tools and exercises that therapists know and are using, but I think being able to bring it together and have that scripted program that we know works is really, really key. And along with that, like you said, stressing to our patients the lifelong commitment that is required to the self-management of the risk factors and committing to this exercise um, is, is really, really important for our patients. I think you'll probably touch on this in the next part of the course, but I'm really interested to hear how you overcome the barriers to compliance. I know you kind of jokingly said that 30% compliance for exercise three days a week is really good. And I, I know that is something that a lot of clinicians in the field are facing. We, you know, we feel like we tell patients these are important and try to educate them. And yet that compliance can be really lacking. So we can move on to the next section. I'm really excited to learn more about some of the challenges you've seen and how clinicians can overcome these. Absolutely. And, and you're exactly right. Um, this is exactly how we practice. It's just putting it into a formal, structured program that's standardized, which makes a huge difference. Um, and I know as, as, as physical therapists and as occupational therapists, sometimes it's really hard for us to standardize because it's just sort of not in our nature. We always want to put our own personal spin on things. But what I've really come to realize is that when you have 
a structured program like this, it actually sets the patients up for success. And, I, and I'm going to touch upon this compliance piece because this is where it comes in. What I, what I have seen, and this is a, very much with our more frail, older adults who are very tentative about some of the different exercises we ask them to do and can get actually quite overwhelmed, especially if we are assigning a lot of exercises and our exercises change all of the time. And what I've seen is that when you give them a structured and progressive exercise program, they have the space to actually learn the exercises and they also have the space to start seeing improvement. And when I was early on in my career, I just made the mistake of constantly changing those exercises so that my patient, I might have seen their progress, but I, they didn't see their progress. They weren't able to see, oh, I, when I started, could only step one time without using my hand, and now I can stand up 10 times. They weren't able to see when I started, I could only lift a half pound weight, but now I can actually lift a seven pound weight. And once they start to actually see their progress, they get way more buy-in and that adherence and compliance, that problem almost solves itself. And then the, the final, the penultimate is when it is, when they come to you and they say, you know, prior to starting this program, um, I, I stopped going to my favorite restaurant because I actually really wasn't strong enough to get out of the booth. And last night I was able to go to that restaurant and my leg strength was so good. I had no problem getting in and out of that booth. And that's how you know that they have fully embraced the program and they, they have embraced their ability to get themselves stronger. And that is a really, really critical point. And the other piece to adherence and compliance that I find is really interesting with the Otago exercise program is that if you set it up in such a way that you assign those exercises and you actually don't see your patient for a week, you'll know right away and they'll know right away if they've done their exercises. When we're in that mode where we're seeing people two to three times a week, and in some cases, it is 100% appropriate to see that high frequency of visits, um, especially if they're post-op you know, surgery and we got to get them up and moving and we've got to make sure we've got our range of motion in place and everything. Absolutely. But there are other cases and other times when that high frequency isn't quite as necessary. And what we find with the Otago exercise program is you assign those exercises, you go away for a week, you come back, patient hasn't done the exercises. And it becomes very apparent, oh my, I actually need to do these. And if I don't do these, nobody's going to benefit from it. It's also a great time for the therapist to assess if this program is really appropriate for this patient. Um, there, We get questions all the time about, hey, I have a patient with cognitive impairment. Is the Otago exercise program appropriate? And the response is, well, first of all, I don't actually know your patient. I don't know their level of cognitive impairment, but it is, does that patient have a caregiver that can assist and can remind? And if the patient doesn't have a caregiver, then this is probably not the best program for them because they have to remember to do the exercises. 
if the patient has a caregiver and if the caregiver is 100% bought in, then you're fine. Um, and the caregiver should be doing the exercises too, by the way. So there just is a lot of opportunity there to, um, to really use our clinical expertise and to be thinking about, you know, what are the pieces that are in place and is this the right program for this patient? If the patient isn't going to be compliant after, you know, two weeks into this program, it is absolutely not the right program for them. And it's okay to go ahead and make that clinical judgment. So, um, yeah, so that's, but it is, it's always, it's always a challenge. And I, I also am always sort of pleasantly surprised when I give patients who I think are not going to be adherent and will never do this exercise program, the space to play with it a little bit and start realizing that this is their program and they can do it and they can get stronger. So um, just always give people a little opportunity to do that. So I'm going to talk about some of the barriers that have come up in the research around program implementation. And some of them I'm going to talk about, and you can be like, are you serious? These are barriers, but they are. Um, and the first one, believe it or not, is exercise handouts. For some reason, this, this can be a huge barrier to certain organizations. And the challenge is a couple fold. Uh, one is, oh my goodness, there's 17 exercises. And that's a lot of copying. The good news is, is that there are mobile apps uh, currently available and on the way where, you know, we can actually use mobile apps to show those exercises. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you describe one set of exercises to your patient, thinking about just going ahead, making a bunch of copies and having them available, it can make a huge difference. Patients actually really like having a nice big picture of these exercises and like having them all together, but it can create a huge barrier. And when I'm working with other organizations who want to adopt this and implement this program, we actually talk a lot about this. Like you've got to have the system in place that there's either a central group that's creating all the exercises and making it available for people, or, you know, there's other op options out there, but it, it actually has turned into a a pretty big problem for certain organizations. Um, I do have to say that um, when you look at the original Otago exercises, they might look a little outdated. That's because they are. The most recent update in the program handbook was the year 2000. So if you don't like the pictures, it is okay to change them. You don't have to stick with those particular pictures. What you cannot do is change the exercises. And this is really important. Uh, a lot of times people tend to want to modify the exercises to make them, quote, easier for their patients, or they feel like my patient isn't strong enough to do these exercises yet, and so I'm going to change them. And I really would discourage that thinking altogether. We know that the exercises work when they're prescribed as intended. And again, patients will constantly surprise you. Go ahead and try some of the exercises with them and see what they can do. Um, my favorite pet, um, if one can have a favorite pet peeve, is uh, standing toe raises and standing heel raises. And these are great exercises and they are great balance exercises. And people get really nervous, especially about uh, the standing toe raises. Oh, my patient's going to fall over backwards. Um, there are ways to make this exercise as safe as possible. And it actually can really improve the patient's confidence as well as it's a really effective exercise. But the thing I really want to call out 
is that if you do standing heel raises and standing toe raises and sitting, those are ankle pumps. Those are actually not strength exercises. So that is not an okay modification. So I, I, I need to call that out because I actually have had more than one therapist uh, tell me that that's how they've modified those exercises. Um, I've also had other therapists tell me, oh, I use the Otago exercise program all the time. And, um, but I just have my patients sit and do the exercises. And again, we don't fall from sitting. You know, we need to be training task-specific in standing. We need to be training balance to really help our older adults stay upright. So don't change the exercises. That, that's really the take-home. Uh, the other complaint I hear a lot or the other barrier is there's just too many exercises. And I, I completely agree. I would never assign all 17 on my first day with the patient. I would never assign a backward tandem walk uh, you know, to somebody who's really frail. So this is where the clinical expertise comes in of, I've got these 17 exercises. Of these 17 exercises, there are some that I can progress. There are some that may be too challenging. There are some that are just right. So figuring out of the 17, which are the most appropriate for your patient, that will give them the right level of challenge that they will feel successful doing and that they will do. And so the take-home message is you don't assign all 17. Nobody's ready for that. And you can eventually work up to all 17. So, and then the same thing with walking, like my patient can't walk 30 minutes. Well, of course not. Um, can they walk five minutes? Can they walk three minutes? So when you're assigning that walking program, you know, you have to be really, first of all, again, using your clinical judgment. And if they are not ready to walk as an exercise, that's fine. Don't assign the walking program. If they are starting to independently walk with an assistive device in their house from their bedroom to their bathroom, then they're actually probably ready to start a walking program. And it could be as simple as walk from your bedroom to the bathroom, do that two more times and then take a rest. You know, figuring out ways that you can integrate this in and make it feasible. And then with the goal of them ultimately progressing to the point where they could actually walk for 30 minutes. Um, and that's a great, that's a wonderful thing for a patient to be able to see and see that progress and track that progress. So, and we typically, when we're up and running, we'll usually, the, the, the cadence really is 30 minutes of strength and balance training three times a week, 30 minutes of walking three times a week. If the patient wants to put those together and do an hour three times a week, that's totally fine too. Again, you'll hit that three hour requirement. So the other uh, common uh, challenges uh, we hear is my patient's too frail or they can't do weights. And the fact of the matter is, is that all of our data, all of our research shows that frailty is not a contraindication to exercise. Older adults who are frail can exercise and they can do structured and progressive exercise. When people are first assigning the Otago exercise program, I always recommend if your patient is too frail to do weights, then get them an empty ankle weight. You know, see, so we have adjustable ankle weights, ideally. Uh, take all the weight out and get them used to putting the empty ankle weight on so that behavior is ingrained on those three exercises. And then when they get strong enough, meaning they've done their three sets of 10, empty ankle weight on, then you're going to go ahead and put in a half pound. 
Um, but they're used to it. They're used to reaching down, putting the weight on, and now they're going to go ahead and reach down and put that half pound weight on. And then they can see that they're progressing. So, and again, same thing. They can do things in standing. If they are strong enough to stand up and walk, they are strong enough to do the majority of these exercises, especially the ones that are static. So, and then the final, the final, uh, patient challenge we see a lot of is that um, my patient's too high functioning for this program. And of course, this program is really targeted to older adults who are more frail. And in the literature, you will see uh, older adults who are age, you know, 80 and older. And the reason why you see the 80 and over is because that's what the original research was. That's who the original research was done with. Um, the fact of the matter is I always think about physiologic age versus chronologic age. So if I have a 60-year-old who's quite frail and who has experienced several falls, then Otago is absolutely appropriate. If I have a 90-year-old who's very robust, who has really good balance, the Otago exercise program actually may not challenge them enough. And that's when I'm going to streamline the Tai Chi program or to maybe enhance fitness. So just know that this program is not for everyone, but it's definitely appropriate for our frail older adults. So those are some of the barriers to the actual program experience. And the other big barrier or challenge we hear is in the process, like where in the process of interacting with my patient, of evaluating and treating my patient, do I introduce this program, especially if I'm a home health therapist? Where does this fit in my, in my care plan? And it doesn't have to be, I think where people get stuck is they're like, I've got to fix all the problems with my patient and then I will start Otago. But I'm not really sure how that's going to fit with my entire episode of care. And what if I run out of visits? And again, I would encourage all of the clinicians to be thinking about. So maybe I'm here treating this patient who just had shoulder surgery and they're very frail. So I'm seeing them as a home health therapist. But I also, as part of my evaluation, have realized that they've got really poor balance. So a couple things. One is, of course, you know, adding that diagnosis of impaired balance and whatever level <laughs> um, onto the treatment plan and alerting the care team about this issue. But then thinking about, well, how can I actually start integrating these Otago exercise program exercises into my plan of care? And you can actually start them whenever you feel like your patient is stable enough. So if you've been working on with the patient managing the shoulder pain, swelling, range of motion, patient's getting more and more stable, go ahead and start introducing the Otago exercises. Go ahead and start progressing them. Because the goal is when you discharge your patient, because you're not going to be able to see them for six months, that they're independent with those exercises, that they understand that they can do them. So view them almost as like a standardized home exercise program in this case. And granted, it's going to be different than what the original research did, but we have tons of research that supports it's the patient doing those exercises versus the patient therapist interaction for five visits over eight weeks. It's really getting the patients to 
adopt this program as their own and to do, to do the exercises. That's the critical piece. So that's something, you know, when we think about frequency and duration to not get hung up on doing it exactly as the original research was done because it was a research pro project. This is not clinical implementation. And then we also hear a lot about, hey, I love this idea about a phone call. Nobody's going to pay me to do that. And you're exactly right. We do find that when patients know you're going to call them in a month, they actually do tend to be a little bit more accountable for their actions, but we don't have a great process in place to do that. And we're not at this point in time being reimbursed for that time, even though it's time so well spent. And some of that is changing with the changes in telehealth and everything else. But as of right now, you know, you discharge a patient. If you call them up to check in on them, nobody's going to pay for that. There are some innovative ways around this. There are certain um, home health companies that are actually doing these follow-up calls anyways as part of a value-add service. And even though you're not doing that call, if you know that someone at your company is going to be making that phone call, just check in with that person and say, hey, ask about their exercise program. It's a great way to get ahead of it. Um, but what we've really found with those follow-up phone calls is they're really awesome. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. Another innovation in this space is actually uh, looking to see what other organizations interact with your patient. So, for example, there's a home health agency in Pennsylvania that is partnering with Meals on Wheels. And so the home health agency is prescribing the Otago exercise program as part of their plan of care with the majority of their patients, of course, the ones that are appropriate. And then they're alerting the Meals on Wheels group that interacts with those patients. And then the Meals on Wheels folks actually are checking in on the patient. And when they bring them their meals and saying, hey, how's your balance program going? So there's a lot of cool things and a lot of cool ways to get around that. And again, the take-home message is some sort of follow-up is really, really, really helpful, but not necessary. And then the final thing is, is this really skilled therapy? And the question, I always turn that question back to my clinicians, which is, you know your patients. For some patients, this may be skilled therapy and should be part of skilled therapy. For other patients, this may be a health and wellness program and should be introduced that way. So we want clear-cut answers and we want clear protocols around how to do this. But the fact of the matter is, is that older adults are complex. And so we're never going to get that clear protocol. And so it's really up to us as clinicians to identify appropriate patients prescribe these exercises, work with our interdisciplinary team to support patient adherence and compliance, work with the patient to support adherence and compliance, and allow the program to be used by the patient the way it needs to be used. So it's pretty fun. I mean, there's, it's, a, it's a complex situation, but again, the outcomes can be so compelling that I would strongly encourage all of the learners to be thinking about how they can integrate this wisdom into their plans of care. So I'm going to just do a quick summary and then we can jump into innovations. And first of all, again, we're just going to reiterate, this is not radically different from how we typically practice, but when we create this infrastructure, it's really effective. We need to be thinking out of the box for every patient. Every patient is not going to follow that exact perfect five visits over eight weeks kind of implementation model. And so we need to be thinking, how do we get those key components to our patient and how do we leverage different touch points? 
troubleshoot ahead of time when you're starting this program. Make sure you got lots of copies of handouts. Um, and then really have that expectation that the patient will engage with the program. Thanks, Dr. Schubert. Uh, I want to just follow up on that case example you gave with the patient who we're seeing in home health after shoulder surgery. My first thought is kind of going back to not wanting to overwhelm them with too many exercises and kind of focusing on that diagnosis or their recovery from surgery. Do you have a recommendation for how many exercises to prescribe at first? I know we want to progress them gradually into the Otago program, but you'd also said initially that ideally we'd start them with three of those Otago exercises. Do you have any thoughts on the best way to go about that? Yeah, that is a great question. And I'm I'm a fan of the number three. I, I think if we start with three, especially if they're doing other exercises for you know, to address another impairment, that that seems like a manageable amount. And then as they get comfortable with those three, you can be adding more in. I have had some patients who are fine and they're like, bring it on. Um, and, you know, but I, I would actually never assign more than 10. I think 10 is a lot. Um, but I think three is a really great place to start. And if you have someone who is more frail or who is really just, just struggling in general with their therapy, give them one because you really want people to be successful, right? We don't want to overwhelm. We don't want to, you know, we don't, don't want to make it so much that people don't even start. So, um, so I would say, yeah, between one and three is a great place to start. Great. Thank you. And my other question is, you have stressed the use of ankle weights. Do you have any suggestions for patients who don't own weights and maybe don't see the value of purchasing them so that they can do these exercises on their own? Yeah. And that's, that is a common challenge. Um, I mean, the beauty of those ankle weights is that it gives you that objective information of what, where that patient's at and what they can do. And then you can really progress them scientifically. It's not going to work for everyone. Totally understand that. Um, I have to say, like the old-fashioned fill up a sock with rice, it's about a one-pound weight, and use that. Uh, works really, really well. Uh, the rice sock and the sand sock. Um, and what I've seen with patients is that when you do that and they start realizing, oh, I can lift a one pound weight. Oh, I could, I, you know, I eventually could do more. They're either more open to it or family members are more open to it. So, um, so we've had many situations where family members have purchased weights for, um, for the older adults. And there's also been a lot of really cool innovation around, um, Working with Walmart, I've had different agencies work with Walmart to donate weights, working with um, Five Below to donate weights, uh, and Dick's Sporting Goods. So the weights are definitely a challenge and you can't, like as an agency, buy weights for every single patient. But there are definitely some creative uh, And if you can at least get adjustable up to five pounds, it can make such an incredible difference. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so let's just go ahead and dive right into the next section, which is on innovation. 
Yeah. So this is, this is the fun part. So um, it's all fun. Um, so I wanted to just highlight some different innovative models that are happening in this space. And the first one isn't hugely innovative, but when, when we first started rolling out the Otago exercise program and, you know, again, everybody's like, oh, it's in the home. This is great, but it doesn't really align with home health. Um, we started realizing again that it didn't necessarily need to be done in the home. So first innovation is this can be absolutely done in the outpatient setting. It's also a great program for people who are operating under the in-home Part B model where they're providing um, uh, Part B outpatient services in the home uh, to patients. So just want to call that model out that it's it works really, really well. But there's no problem with having a patient actually come to your clinic and get their Otago exercise prescription in the clinic. We've also had some very interesting models where... Again, thinking about, well, is this skilled therapy? And it's not skilled therapy for everybody because we definitely have clients who are at a higher level of function and they really need this exercise program, but they don't necessarily need a PT or an OT to evaluate and prescribe and progress. Um, they probably need an evaluation, but they may not need that prescription and progression piece. So there's been some really cool models uh, in the state of Oregon where the PT acts as a consultant. And this is definitely more of a community-based model where the community-based services, uh, specifically folks that are providing Meals on Wheels and folks that are also providing different services to at-risk seniors in the home, are identifying some of their clients who are appropriate for the Otago Exercise Program and the PT is doing the initial eval, and it used to be in-home, but now it's virtual. And if the client is doesn't need, quote, need physical therapy for any medical reason, the service provider, the Meals on Wheels folks, actually have trained uh, individuals who have a background in exercise science who actually are doing the program with the older adults. So it's a unique model. Um, and it's definitely one that's more community focused. Um, the personal trainers then connect back with the PT every week and just do a quick report out. So it's a really nice way to, to get the program to really super high risk folks, which everybody's expertise. So the other cool innovations are happening uh, in assisted living and in skilled nursing. And these, we have several organizations who are actually using the Otago Exercise Program as their restorative care program for appropriate patients. And so how this works is the PT does the initial evaluation and recommends the appropriate Otago exercises. And oftentimes, um, the PT and the OT will work together to reinforce um, the Otago exercises whenever they work with the patient. But then the restorative care aid is given the exercise prescription, and that is part of that restorative program. And what we found is, is that it, that gives the restorative care aid a common language to communicate to the PT and the OT, because now the restorative care aid only has to know the Otago exercises, and the same exercises are prescribed to every client. And so it really minimizes the confusion or the stress on the restorative care aids part because they know those exercises, they know how to do them. And what we found is um, 
in general, we get higher adherence and compliance rates to restorative programs. People are exercising more, basically, in these restorative programs. And if there's a change in condition, the restorative carried, because they're so familiar with the exercises and performance of the exercises, has an easier time identifying a change and communicating it back to the PT and the OT. So that has been pretty awesome. And then we also have community programs. And again, this sounds like, well, what's happening here? This is so different from you know traditional therapy. But what we're seeing is that because we as clinicians can only work with our patients for a certain amount of time, but we want them to keep on with their exercise program. So what we're seeing is community-based organizations working with PTs and OTs to offer Otago exercise classes. And so these are classes where it's 10 or 15 people offered at a senior center, and the entire class is based off the Otago exercises. So definitely not something to do at the beginning of the plan of care, but at the end of the plan of care where you want your patient to keep going, they may not be 100% adherent and compliant on their own. They might need that extra level of support. Well, now you can discharge them to a community-based program, which is going to be based on the exercises that they know. So they're not scared or you know intimidated by that. And they're just going to go to that program three times a week and go through their plan of exercises. And in some ways, it's actually even more effective because they're probably getting a higher dose of exercise when they do a class setting. And ideally, the patient, if they have any contraindications or any exercises they're not supposed to do, because they've worked with you as a clinician, they know those so they can opt out of them during the community session. And there's a lot of different models of how this works. Um, but generally speaking, the most effective is when there is good levels of communication between the clinician prescribing and recommending the program and the community program, whoever's running it, um, that they're at least you know, touching base and having conversations about folks. And then finally, sort of going through the different levels of innovation, um, we're definitely seeing an interesting transition, um, leveraging technology, leveraging Zoom, um, have colleagues that do group Otago exercise treatments on Zoom, um, and it's going remarkably well. Uh, we are seeing that older adults can do this exercise program on their own in the home safely. Definitely one of the kinds of things where, you know, you're doing your initial evaluation, you're checking to make sure that the older adult is safe and is able to do the exercises, and then you're teaching them virtually and what we're seeing is that there's even higher levels of engagement and empowerment because the older adult is independently doing these exercises in the home. So really seeing some cool things there um, and also seeing the community model transitioning over and people doing group exercise classes based on Otago over Zoom. So uh, so there's there's a lot of interesting things going on in this space. And there's a lot of really great opportunities for us as clinicians to highlight the expertise that we can bring to these type of programs. And our expertise really is evaluating our patients, identifying the exercises within the Otago exercise program that are most appropriate, educating our patients that this is really your, your exercise program for life and we're going to keep progressing you. 
but there's going to be this point where we're going to have to discharge you from therapy, but you're going to have to keep going. And we've created this structure for you to do that. And now we have all these other resources which can help you, you know, either be it at your senior center or be it virtually or be it via mobile app. All of these things can help you really achieve that three hours of strength and balance exercises that you need to get that protective effect against a fall. So in summary, it's a really great program. Really important that we as clinicians grasp the key elements, integrate it into our practice, communicate it to our patients, and that also we're really paying attention to what all is happening outside of the world of rehabilitation to help support our patients continue on their journey. So I have given you my one-hour Otago exercise program download, and I, I hope I have inspired folks with a lot of information and education. And I would encourage you all to look at the resource page as well for as much research as you would want on this particular program. Great, Dr. Schubert. Thank you so much for your time. Would you mind reviewing the learning objectives for our learners and summarizing how the course met those objectives? Absolutely. So the first learning objective was to define evidence-based health promotion programs. And we reviewed that on the very first section. And these are programs which have been validated and tested in a research setting and then moved out into the community and tested again and proven effective. These are programs that are typically offered within the public health sector. And they're programs that we as clinicians should be considering uh, as a tool in our, in our toolkit um, to help support patient adherence and compliance. And the next one is uh, define the key components of the Otago exercise program, which we talked about quite a lot. But we're looking at uh, three sessions per week of strength and balance exercises that are approximately 30 minutes in length. And our job as clinicians is to identify which of the 17 strength and balance exercises are appropriate for our patient and then progress that patient uh, during the plan of care through those exercises so they're continually challenged. Next, we have uh, recall the best practices in the OEP prescription and progression. Talked a lot about that, about how to give our patients the space to realize that they actually are in charge and they're the ones that are going to have to actually do the exercises, not us. That was the first one. We also talked about limiting the amount of exercises you first prescribe so we're not overwhelmed. The magic number is anywhere between one and three. Um, and one I actually didn't bring up, but I'll bring up now is um, when I check in on my patients, I ask them to show me what they've done. I think we all do this intuitively, but really calling that out. So that way they are given a chance to really show you that they're improving or they understand the exercises. We're going to we define the role of the interdisciplinary team in the implementation of the Otago exercise program. We touched upon that a little bit in home health, making sure that every member of the team knows that the patient's doing the exercises and supporting. And then also, more importantly, after discharge, and I would call our community-based organizations members of our team but that you know who, what other resources are out there to actually support your practice and your plan of care and your, and your patient's progression into health and wellness. And finally, uh, recognizing the implementation models of the Otago exercise program, and that's the section that we just covered. Um, it can be implemented in the home. 
It can also be implemented in outpatient. It can be implemented virtually, and it can be implemented in a whole variety of modifications of both clinician and community provider partnerships. That's great. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Schubert. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 